20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host this morning, Sunday morning, and the oldest rivalry in the NFL, the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. That was my best attempt at a Chris Berman impersonation there. But I'm your host. I'm not Chris Berman. I am Jacob Westendorf, and I am flying solo because Zachy Vengeance, Zach Jacobson, is in Los Angeles enjoying their nightlife and some of our times couldn't sync up uh, on this particular evening. So I apologize for that. Zach, wish you the best. Hope you had fun tonight. We'll uh, talk again next week, I'm sure. The oldest rivalry in the NFL, Packers and Bears, kick off at noon today at Soldier Field, uh, one of the crappiest stadiums I have ever had the misfortune of being in. I've never been there for a football game. I was there a couple years ago for a Metallica and Avenged Sevenfold concert. Really fun concert. Really good lineup. Uh, the, the stadium's just a crap box. Those of you that have followed my work around, uh, you guys know I'm a Packers fan that lives in Bears country, so this game is a big one. Uh, it's a big one anyways, but it's definitely big for me having to put up with the Bear fan base that has gotten a little arrogant around these parts, and I completely understand why. They just beat the Los Angeles Rams 15-6 to last week on Sunday Night Football, completely suffocated the Rams' offense, which is high-powered as any in the league. They have the best defense in football. There's no question about that. And one of the front runners for Defensive Player of the Year in Khalil Mack, and there are stars all through that defense uh, Khalil Mack is one. Akeem Hicks is another one. Uh, Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith, Kyle Fuller's had a really good year. Eddie Jackson is one of the best safeties in football. Their defense from front to back, side to side, and coordinated by Vic Fangio is a very stout unit and should give the Packers some trouble today uh, as as they normally do and they would give trouble to any any offense. So that's not going to be surprising uh, when the Packers are going to struggle to move the ball a little bit today. I'd be stunned if Green Bay put up 30-some-odd points and ran that defense off the field. But it's not impossible. The Packers have done that before, albeit three full months ago 
with a Khalil Mack on a pitch count and a Roquan Smith essentially on a pitch count. I think Roquan Smith played like eight snaps that night or something like that. But Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense scored 24 points in one quarter against that Bears defense, essentially all in one quarter. I think they kicked a field goal late in the third or something like that. But it is possible. It is doable to do things. The Packers offense is different, and so is the Bears defense. Jamal Williams is not the starting running back anymore. Ty Montgomery is not here anymore. Uh, Geronimo Allison is on the shelf on injured reserve. The Packers are kind of running with a hodgepodge of uh, wide receivers at this point with Devontae Adams and very little else at this point in terms of consistent production. Again, I know the rookies are sexy names. Rookies are exciting. But at the same time, their consistency just hasn't been there. I can't remember the last time Marquez Valdez-Scantling made a big play. Equinemius St. Brown seems to show up early in games and then disappear as that game goes on. And really, I think this game comes down to Randall Cobb, uh, old friend and bear killer Randall Cobb, because Bryce Callahan has been one of the best slot corners in football this season for the Bears. He is out uh, for this game today with a broken foot and he'll miss the remainder of the season. So the Packers are going to be facing some fresh meat in terms of their slot corner in Chicago. And that's the matchup they're going to have to win because, again, like I said earlier, there's just not a whole lot of holes in this Bears defense. I mean, Kyle Fuller's not going to completely take away Devontae Adams. Nobody does. But Vic Fangio is going to do everything in his power to limit Adams' production. And the Bears up front are very stout. It's going to be tough sledding to run against them. So even as good as I think Aaron Jones is, and he's a star, there's no question about that, it's going to be tough to run the ball on them. So this is a game where the Packers, everybody's talked about it all week, that quick passing, get the ball out of Rodgers' hands, and get him to kind of play fast and play within the system to get the ball down the field. That's what they're going to have to do because this pass rush is ferocious and it's phenomenal. Watching this Bears defense, they're the Bears. I hate them. I get that. But they are a very fun defense to watch from the standpoint of everybody's discipline. And they have dynamic playmakers all over the field. So this game's going to be interesting, I think. It's a division rivalry game. The Bears have a chance to clinch their first NFC North title since 2010. For every Bears fans listening, just as a reminder, that season that you won that division in 2010, the Green Bay Packers actually won the Super Bowl that year and went into Soldier Field and kicked your ass in the NFC Championship game. B.J. Raji was dancing in the end zone at Soldier Field. It was one of the happiest days of my life. And the next day afterward, listening to Chicago radio after that game was also uh, very funny for me. But me, I mentioned earlier in this week, uh, I've talked on Pulse of the Pack. I talked on Packaday earlier in the week with Nick Schmitz that I can't do it. I can't pick the Bears to beat the Packers. The Packers haven't lost at Soldier Field since 2010, and in that game, they committed 18 penalties to do so. This Bears team should win, but I am picking Green Bay in a 23-20, kind of game uh, with Mason Crosby making a late field goal to keep the Packers' slim playoff chances alive. And that's something I want to start with right now is a lot of people, I interact with a lot of you guys on Twitter and I really enjoy that. So please do that at Jacob Westendorf. Have been talking about, you know, whether they want the Packers to make a push for the playoffs or whether they want to tank. And me personally, I am, I call this era 
the trust the process era of sports fans. It used to be that losing any week was unacceptable. We were never so conscious of draft position the way that we are now. And that started in some other sports I know, like the Houston Astros and the Chicago Cubs in baseball. They sucked for a couple years. They're two of the last three World Series champions. Uh, the 76ers are kind of the poster child in the NBA as far as a team that tanked for a really long time. My counter-argument to that is for every team like that, there are several other teams that have been doing that for years with little to show for it. For example, the Phoenix Suns have been in the lottery each of the last nine years. They have five wins this season. They are terrible. They are a joke. The draft is the ultimate crapshoot, and that's true in football as well. Now, I'm not saying that the good player, like, for example, do the Packers have a chance to draft Nick Bosa? No. Um, and would losing a couple games here or there give them a better chance to do that? Absolutely. But is Nick Bosa a surefire NFL stud? No, he's not. And that's not to say I don't like Nick Bosa, the prospect, because I do. As a pass rusher, I think he's going to be very good. But how many sure things, quote-unquote, have there been that have turned out to be duds in the NFL? Uh, The Packers should know that more than anybody. Tony Mandarich was a can't-miss prospect as an offensive tackle, and he's one of the biggest busts in NFL history. There are several guys that are like that. As far as wanting a team to lose for draft position, I just don't understand that. Because last season, well, after last season, I should say, two of the front runners for Defensive Rookie of the Year were picked 17th and 18th, respectively. That's Derwin James and Jair Alexander. Now, there's certainly some good players that were picked above those guys. Denzel Ward's a very good player. Bradley Chubb is a very good pass rusher. He should be in the discussion for Defensive Rookie of the Year as well. But I say all that to say that the Packers intentionally losing, I'm not for establishing a losing culture. There's There are guys on this roster, young guys on this roster, that are going to be here next season. I'm not worried about Aaron Rodgers or somebody that's been here for a long time becoming accustomed to losing, so to speak. I'm not worried about that. But Jair Alexander, Joshua Jackson, Kevin King, Kenny Clark, players like that, I want them to be a part of a winning culture, and I think establishing a winning culture is important. Not only that, but asking a player and a team to tank is absolutely ridiculous. Players, first of all, don't and should not care about draft position because what happens is, let's just say, let's just use Clay Matthews as an example. If Clay Matthews is conscious of the Packers' draft position, you know what's going to happen? They're going to draft a younger and cheaper pass rusher to take his place. So these players don't care about that. They shouldn't care about that. And we as fans, I don't think, should care about that either. Winning is a hell of a lot more fun than losing, and that's especially true when you're playing the Chicago Bears as a rivalry team, as an NFC North team, and really any of these last two games as well. Actively rooting for the Packers to lose, I don't have the patience for that. And I don't. I love the draft as much as anybody. You will hear me all offseason talking draft with whoever's willing to do so but I'm not going to root for the team to lose a game on Sunday because I want them to draft higher it's not a good thing to be picking in the top five because you know what teams pick in the top five teams that suck and teams that sucked and there's a whole hell of a lot of pain that went in to go to that so I'm not interested in that 
the Packers, especially now, albeit a really small chance, we're at the Lloyd Christmas, you know, so you're saying there's a chance thing as far as their chances of making the playoffs. They need a lot of things to go their way. But while there's still a chance, I'm not saying the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl or that they're even good enough to do so, but I would rather have a chance to do so than not. So that's how I feel about the playoffs or tanking situation. If you're pro-tanking, God bless you. Um, You have a right to your opinion. I just do not agree with you at all uh, from any, any, any shape or form on that. Now, I'll also say when it comes to rooting them for them to win these last three games. I don't care if they win these last three games uh, and don't make the playoffs or do make the playoffs, whatever. There's nothing Joe Philbin can do, in my opinion, that earns him this job. And that's a discussion that took place last week after they won against Atlanta at Lambeau Field because the reality is I don't think Joe Philbin did anything all that different than what Mike McCarthy was doing. They just executed better. And that's a boring-ass analysis to give people. I know that because in this day and age, we're always talking about creative schemes, how this coach is getting ahead of the curve on this coach and all that good stuff. It just wasn't that. The Falcons were bad. The Packers took advantage of some plays that were in front of them, and they made plays. They hadn't done that in the last couple games uh, of Mike McCarthy's tenure as the head coach. So with all due respect to Joe Philbin, he's a good guy uh, by all accounts, but I I have no desire to see him as the head coach. I would rather take a risk because, of course, the argument that I get back is, well, how do you know who you're getting is better? Well, you could have said that as a reason to keep Mike McCarthy, and I have said that for the last three years as to who are you getting rid of, or you're getting rid of McCarthy. How do you know Coach X, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, whatever, is a better coach than what you already have? And that's the risk you take. There's definitely some uncertainty when they fired Mike McCarthy, but that's kind of why they put themselves in this position. They need a little uncertainty in this organization, and they need to try something different. And I look forward to the coaching search, but for now, I'm rooting for the Packers to win. And that starts against the Chicago Bears. One player I want to talk about with you guys is Jimmy Graham. The first time I did this show uh, by myself... I talked about Jimmy Graham and how I thought he was going to have a big second half and he was going to build this continuity with Aaron Rodgers and he's still a good player. He just hasn't really gotten comfortable yet and it hasn't worked out that way. Uh, Jimmy Graham said it earlier this week, you know, quote, my numbers suck and I just want to win. I hate losing too, which I give him credit for. Uh, He's owned his struggles for the most part this year. Uh, He doesn't talk to the media a whole lot. I don't personally have a problem with that uh, as long as he meets his requirements from the collective bargaining agreement that his players union has set out for him. I'm not real worried about whether or not he talks to the media a whole lot. Uh, But I am worried that the Packers gave him a three-year, $30 million deal, and they're looking for elite production when they do that. And Jimmy Graham has not been an elite player this year. Now, I do think there are some things he still does well. I don't think he's just this giant chud that can't play anymore. But, you know, you look at his numbers for this year. He has 46 catches, 549 yards, and two touchdowns. And quite frankly, I didn't know he had two touchdowns. I have forgotten about the touchdown he got against New England. I remember the one against Buffalo, but that was it. That's not awful. But again, when you pay a player that much money, like they have, you are looking for elite-level production. And Jimmy Graham has not provided that. The Packers' tight end position really has kind of been a revolving door 
since Jermichael Finley broke his neck at Lambeau Field in 2013 against the Cleveland Browns. And since then, I mean, they've gone through a lot. You're talking like Andrew Corliss and Richard Rodgers. Jared Cook was here for one year, and then they let him go to sign a tight end whose name I will not mention out of a personal rule on those sorts of things. And then after they cut that person, uh, they brought in Jimmy Graham. And it looks like, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, it really looks like they made a mistake and they should have just re-signed Jared Cook, who is currently lighting it up in Oakland. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I think that's going to be a popular name to bring back to Green Bay. I don't know how possible that is. I'm not a cap expert. I know that some have said that Jimmy Graham's deal essentially works like a one-year deal. That remains to be seen. My general philosophy on the understanding of the salary cap is, and there's plenty of guys that do some great work as far as being able to figure out a general sense on what the cap is, how it'll work for certain players, how contracts work, those sorts of things. But in general, how I feel is NFL teams, all 32 of them have one person or several people whose specific job is to know that salary cap inside and out, and they pay them full-time, and that is their primary job description. And they still don't have a full understanding of that salary cap. They probably have a very good understanding of how the salary cap works, but there is no way that someone like you or me or Tom Silverstein, or name your beat writer, can have a full understanding of the salary cap when that is not their primary job. And I don't think it's fair to ask people to know those things. So from a general stance, if the Packers can get out of Jimmy Graham's contract, I think they'll explore that. I think they'll explore a pay cut. Uh, And I think Jimmy Graham should tell them to pound sand if he is asked to take a pay cut because... I think every NFL player should do that when they're asked to take a pay cut. I don't care if his salary matches his production or not. That's the contract that was signed, and it's not Jimmy Graham's fault that the Packers gave him that contract. So if they can get out of it, I think they will try to, potentially. But then you look at the tight end position on this roster. Mercedes Lewis and Lance Kendricks are not under contract for next season. Jimmy Graham is, but is a potential cut candidate. And then you have Robert Tanyan. I know he's a favorite amongst the blogosphere here. And I think that he has some skills, but going into next off, or this offseason with just Robert Tanyan on the roster at tight end, I think you're asking a lot in terms with all the other needs on this roster that need to be filled. I mean, if you sit down and, granted, this is kind of an offseason topic, but if you look at some of the holes on this roster, they need an infusion of talent at wide receiver. Even if those guys come back, they need another option at tight end. They probably need another option at running back. Their offensive line, specifically the right side of it, could use an infusion of some depth and talent on it. With Brian Balaga struggling with injuries again, maybe he's a cut candidate. And the right guard position, I was wrong on it, I'll be the first to admit it, has been an absolute abomination. Justin McRae has not been good. Byron Bell was worse, and he has been placed on injured reserve. It's unlikely he'll be back next year. And that's just on the offensive side of the things. And then when you go to defense... The defensive line could probably use a player or two. I personally actually think they might be okay at inside linebacker if Blake Martinez and Josh Jones are your inside linebackers. But that's, again, another topic for a separate day. Cornerback, you'd like to think they're okay with Kevin King and Jair Alexander and Joshua Jackson, but King struggled to stay healthy, and Josh Jackson has struggled to play well. In his rookie season, Jair Alexander looks like a bona fide star. 
and Bashad Breland is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, he's probably the main priority, or at least he would be if I was Brian Gutekunst, and thank everybody that you know that I am not, but he should be the main priority of Packers free agents specifically to re-sign, and he may very well be the only one. But even then, they might even be able to use a, a little bit of infusion at the cornerback position and the safety position as we know it. Tremont Williams is okay. They could probably afford to bring him back and use him as a stopgap for a year, but they need another guy. Um, Earl Thomas is going to be one of the free agents I am pounding the table for. I am not big on bringing in Landon Collins. I know that's going to be a popular name. He's a young safety. He's from Alabama. He had a really good year as rookie season. But he, to me, is another one of those hitting, quote-unquote, type safeties. And in this modern-day NFL, having to hit or having a safety whose primary function is how hard he hits, not necessarily somebody I'm all that interested in. And Collins has been on injured reserve each of the last two seasons. So there's some questions there for me as well. But safety could definitely use some talent upgrades as well. Basically forcing yourself to have to use resources on the tight end position, uh, especially probably early. I think the Packers' best option at the tight end position is to keep Graham for one more year if they can and to draft a guy, maybe that's somebody like Noah Fant in the first round. Maybe it's somebody later in the draft. I don't know just yet because I haven't done a whole lot of research in terms of that, but kind of developing him that way, giving Graham a chance in a new offense with a new head coach, a new offensive philosophy, and a second year with Aaron Rodgers to try to revitalize his career. But... It's been a disappointing first season. I certainly understand the fans that are upset about it. Uh, Graham's best days are certainly behind him, but I think that the Packers knew that when they signed him. And Graham last, I mean, this is a really hard week to have any discussion to defend Jimmy Graham because he may very well have been the worst player on the field last week. He had a couple drops. He didn't attack the ball. And he just really struggled. And that's a tough spot for him to be in at this point in time. Uh, but I think that the Packers may not have a choice but to bring him back. But that's all stuff for the offseason that remains to be seen. One other bit of info, and it kind of relates to the head coaching searches. This guy was a popular name coming into the year, and I kind of want to discuss my general philosophy and as to why I'm not – real sold on any of the coordinators, so to speak, or I don't have specific names. John D. Filippo was a very popular name coming into this season as a potential head coaching candidate. He's well-respected around the league, according to people. I have joked that coaching Twitter is an extension of John D. Filippo's agent. There are so many people, as soon as he got hired by the Vikings, they had just signed Kurt Cousins, all those sorts of things. And then they hired John Filippo, and everybody's like, oh, man, the Vikings' offense is going to take off this year. They got this offensive genius running their offense. They upgraded at quarterback, and as much as I hate Kirk Cousins, yes, he is an upgrade to Case Keenum. They get Dalvin Cook back, and the Vikings' offense has been below average for most of the year, uh, or below standard at least, I should say, if not below average. They have, I mean, they have some issues from a personnel standpoint. Um, their offensive line is one of the worst in football. I fully admit that. But 
with Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, and Adam Thielen, and at least a passable quarterback because, again, is Kirk Cousins great? No, but he's better than Nick Foles, who this offense in Philadelphia hummed with last year with Filippo at least helping with the controls. And that's something else I'm going to get to here, so hold that thought. But Filippo got fired, and I know that Mike Zimmer's probably scapegoating him, but I can't necessarily say it was undeserved either. He certainly deserves some of the blame for the way things have gone. Now, Filippo has been chalked up as this offensive genius that is creative and has this offense that just runs so well and, you know, all that sorts of stuff. And, you know, he comes from the Eagle system, and that's his offense and whatever. And that's where I need to stop people because last year in Philadelphia, John Filippo was the quarterback's coach, okay? And the quarterbacks played well, and he deserves credit for that. Now, I want to be fair when I say that. He deserves credit for the way that Nick Foles and Carson Wentz played last year. Carson Wentz would have been the league MVP had he not been injured late in the season in Los Angeles. More likely than not, at least. And the Eagles were the best team in football last year. They won the Super Bowl as evidence of that. But Doug Peterson was the play caller. That is his offense that they are running. And Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator who really, nobody really talked about at all as a head coaching candidate. And he's doing pretty well in Indianapolis. Andrew Luck has been revitalized. That offense has been very good most of the year. Now, they've had some blank spots, I I know that, but this idea that we were just all, now I say we collectively, just all so certain that John Filippo is this great coach and he should be a Packers head coaching candidate. And there are some things that I know um, about the situation. He was a head coaching candidate last year for the Chicago Bears. And Matt Nagy was the one of their first choices along with John Filippo, And I feel like Filippo had this segment on, I believe it was NFL Network, where he's just breaking down football, talking about football with guys. And everybody came out of that so impressed with everything he was saying that they had anointed him as this next great head coach in the NFL. And Filippo interviewed for the Bears job, and I know that he was one of their top two choices for who they wanted as their head coach. And his interview was so bad that the Bears removed him from their candidate list and almost immediately after that interview ended. Obviously, they hired Matt Nagy. Things are working out very well for them. And John Filippo is unemployed. Another thing that was a red flag for me on him specifically, one, he didn't call plays in Philadelphia. That's always going to be a red flag for me in general. He's never been overly successful as a play caller in the NFL. I had one good year in Oakland, and I'll give him a pass for – his year as a play caller in Cleveland because, well, it was Johnny Manziel. As much as I loved Johnny Manziel coming into that draft, nobody was going to succeed in that situation in Cleveland. So I give him a pass for that. But he's never been overly successful as a play caller. And the other red flag that I have is Frank Reich went to Indianapolis, and Filippo still had a chance to be the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia. And Doug Peterson did not give him that job. Now, if John Filippo is this alleged genius that his agent, a.k.a. coaching Twitter, makes him out to be, why didn't Doug Peterson just give him that job? That would be an easy promotion. You can keep him on the staff. You can keep the continuity, all that stuff. He essentially let him go to Minnesota. And Minnesota, obviously, hasn't had the season that they had envisioned coming into the year, and Filippo has been fired. So I say all of that to say that when we discuss this head coaching candidate list, 
I believe, and again, this is going to be boring, and I know that can be frustrating because I don't have a strong opinion on who I want as far as the next Packers head coach. I more tell you guys who I don't want, and because of those things I just mentioned is why I don't want John Filippo. But from a sheer candidate standpoint, it is impossible for us sitting on the outside of any organization to know how that head coach interviews and how he's going to be as a head coach or prospective head coach, I should say, how that prospective head coach is going to be until he is actually sitting in that chair making those decisions. There are plenty of quote-unquote hot hires that have turned out to be duds. For example, a few years ago, Doug Peterson was hired, and everybody in Philadelphia hated that hire, and the national media hated that hire. Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl champion and now widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the NFL. I say all that to say we don't know. It's not possible to know. The only people that you can say you know how he would be as a head coach is someone who has been a head coach before. So if the Packers hire John Fox, I know they're going to run the ball a bunch and they're going to punt on every single fourth and one ever. That's just one example. I know John Harbaugh would probably be a good head coach. He's been a good head coach in Baltimore. That's one example. But the coordinators, you just never know. There's plenty of guys who are better as coordinators than they are as head coaches. Wade Phillips is an example of that. He's a very good defensive coordinator. Not somebody I want as my head coach. That hasn't worked out in a couple of his stints as a head coach. So, again, to review my my list, if you guys want to talk about the next Packers head coach, I want a young, offensive-minded, analytics-driven head coach that is not named John Filippo or Josh McDaniels. That obviously eliminates a lot of people that might come to mind, such as Joe Philbin or John Fox, Jeff Fisher. I don't feel like I need to explain why I don't want those guys. But ultimately, what I want to get on with you guys is when you say, oh, man, I really want this guy as the head coach. There's no way you can know. And I don't mean that as an insult to the people that are listening to this show. I'm sure you guys are all smart. You picked this show to listen to, so that says at least something about your uh, brain capacity as far as football goes, because I really do think this is a great show, Uh, not just because I'm on it, because there's a lot of really good people breaking down the Packers on a day-to-day basis for you on this show, but you just don't know, and I don't think it's possible to know. So the other example I'll give before I close up shop here is when the Packers hired Mike McCarthy. That's another example of a hire that was kind of a, eh, whatever. You know, a lot of people said they wanted Sean Payton. And obviously, um, Sean Payton has turned into be a very good head coach. He is a uh, the coach of a team that looks to be one of the favorites to win this year's Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl, uh, and he's a very good creative head coach. But Mike McCarthy was also a very good head coach during his time in Green Bay. So we just don't know. And that's what I want to end on here. Thank you guys for listening into the show. It's Bears-Packers this afternoon at Soldier Field. Packers looking to win and keep their playoff hopes alive, keep the Bears from celebrating an NFC North crown uh, against them. That would be a big win for the Bears, obviously. The Bears have a demon they want to exercise. They haven't beaten the Packers in a really long time, especially true at Soldier Field. Thank you for listening into the show, though. Be sure to check out it's at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. Send us your stuff. Send me your questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to say regarding the Packers. I am at Jacob Westendorf. I want to thank you guys for listening in. 
Also, want to thank Zach for being on this show with me as often as possible. You can follow him. He is at Zach A. Jacobson. And he's a good follow. He's an interesting follow. Um, thank you guys for listening in. Bears Packers today at noon. Big game. Big showdown. Uh, thanks for listening in. We'll be here to break it down on Monday. And as always, go Pack Go. Third and six, trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A gap, and here they come. Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. He is touchdown. Adams, left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16 yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers, looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the challenge. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6-5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds, inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. He's got it, out of bounds, inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.